The title of this morning is Faith Hindered. If we can have the first reading, that'd be amazing. I'm going to start with Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And as we look at things that hinder our faith, I really want to focus on three specifics this morning, three things that hinder our faith. The first is being ignorant of God's word or being unaware of what scripture says. The second is the lies of the enemy. And the third is worldly thinking. So I'm just going to look at each one of those. So let's let's start with being ignorant of the scriptures. I don't mean let's be ignorant of the scriptures. I mean, let's start with this idea of being ignorant of the scriptures. There's a really interesting verse Matthew 22:29 which I'm hoping is also going to appear on the screen Jesus replied he's talking to the Sadducees here you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God it's a really interesting verse that one and the Sadducees, they, they believed in God. They absolutely believed in God. But they were also in denial of the whole idea of the spiritual realm and of angels and demons. And that's why Jesus says this to them. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. If they knew their scriptures, then their thinking might have been in line with scripture. And I, I hope that for all of us here... None of us doubt the existence of the spiritual realm and the influence that the spiritual realm has over the natural realm. Any of you have done Living in Freedom, you've probably seen us do a little visual aid where we stick a sponge in a bowl of water where the sponge represents the natural realm and the water represents the spiritual realm. And of course, the spiritual realm is pressing in on us all the time. God is invading spiritually all the time for good. The enemy's constantly looking to invade the natural realm for evil, to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are spiritually porous. Human beings are spiritually porous because we're designed to be that way. God has made us spiritual beings. Whether we're saved or not, okay, non-Christians are as spiritually porous as Christians but if we're ignorant of what the Bible says about this stuff, then we have no framework for how to deal with the supernatural. And we'll get blatted if we don't know what the Bible says. It is our manual for living. It really is. And actually, not only that, but if we're ignorant of what the Bible says, if we don't go to our scriptures 
then we deny ourselves one of the main ways that God chooses to speak to his children. Because this book is God's living word. So many times we can turn to scripture and read a verse that we've read multiple times before and, and God says something new and we see something fresh and God's spirit brings it alive to us because it's his living word. And so we're ignorant of what this book says. We're kind of handicapping ourselves actually. And we need to know what's in here because we need to, we need to push into what God is saying to us. We, we need to go deeper and learn deeper truth about the character of God. If we're given a prophetic word, for example, we need to know whether it's in line with Scripture. And how can we do that if we don't know what the Bible says? If we don't know our Scriptures, we can't test anything. And I think one of the big problems facing our entire culture is that scripture has become massively devalued hugely for, for us in this country right here right now the bible is readily available to us in multiple translations in multiple formats not just printed but audible and digital how many of you have got a free bible app on your phone that's pretty much everybody but how many of us don't actually refer to it as often as perhaps we would like to or we feel we should? This is not about shoulds and oughts. This is about having a hunger for God's word because we value it. And it's for us, it is the most extraordinary gift and privilege that we have to be able to access scripture so easily. But I think the flip side of that is because, because it's so easy, we can take it for granted. And therefore, we don't value it as highly as we should do. In previous generations, even in this country, people have been persecuted and martyred because of their desire and their passion to make the Bible available to the population at large. William Tyndale is probably the most famous. I looked him up. He was burned at the stake in 1536 just because he wanted to see the Bible translated into English. He was willing to give his life because he understood how important scripture is. And yet, actually, our society today places no value on scripture. If you're as old as me and Laurie, <laughs> the first laws ever to be passed in this country that are in direct opposition to scripture have been passed in our lifetime. Our society does not value what the Bible says anymore. And that affects us because we're in the culture we're spiritually porous. That stuff soaks into us. But there are other cultures where to even today, people genuinely understand the value of scripture. Places where the church has to meet underground for fear of persecution. And you can't just wander to your nearest waterstones and buy a Bible in a translation of your choice. And I remember the first time Laurie and I went to Kenya, which is probably about 12 years ago, something like that now, we met a Christian tribesman from the very far north of the country. And he had one Bible and he'd ripped it into bits so that he could travel around as an itinerant preacher and leave the Gospel of Mark with this village and the Gospel of John with this village. And then he'd go back, pick up that Gospel and swap it for another one or swap it for Psalms because they knew the value of Scripture, but it wasn't readily available. 
They knew that, that they know that scripture can change lives. God, working through his living word, changes lives. And I think we've lost something in our nation because we just don't understand that. And my prayer is that actually we develop an even greater hunger for the word of God. We've got other friends, missionary friends, and they are involved right now in the translation of scripture into the language of a particular people group from West Africa for the first time. And every time another book of the Bible is completed, they have this huge celebration because it's becoming available to a people group who've never, ever had the privilege of reading the word of God. And so I, I would say that we too, and I count myself in this, we need to rediscover a hunger for God's word so that we're not ignorant of what it says. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he respond to the devil? He quoted the scriptures. He said, it is written, because the word of God is one of these amazingly powerful weapons that we have. Have we got two? Did I give you 2 Corinthians 10.4? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, the, we have multiple weapons, but one of them is this book. It's one of the weapons we have that God has given us that enables us to demolish strongholds. So we need to know our scriptures. And I would say to you, and I say to myself, if we find it hard to read your Bibles, persevere. In fact, I wouldn't expect any of us to find it easy because the enemy knows how important it is, and so it is opposed. So if you pick your Bible up and you start finding yourself being sleepy or your concentration wanders, I'm kind of not surprised because the enemy hates it when we get into God's word. But that doesn't mean we don't need to. And that kind of brings me on to the next subject, really, which is the next thing that hinders our faith is the lies of the enemy. Because we all know we're constantly in a battle. Okay, that's a given. And Satan never, ever stops looking for opportunity to steal from us and to rob us of our inheritance in Jesus. Things like peace, joy, hope, health, fulfillment, authority. He's always looking to rob us of as much as he possibly can. And his, the aim of the enemy is to neutralize us, to make us ineffective and weak. And so we need to understand that the main essence of the spiritual battle that we're in is a battle between truth and lies. Okay. The enemy's been defeated. Yeah, we know that. He's been defeated. And the victory is ours. We say that. We sing it. We know it. The victory is ours already through Jesus. And we've been, we've been given authority over the, the enemy's schemes. And Satan knows that. He knows he was defeated at the cross. So what's his strategy? His strategy is to convince us in our minds and our emotions that we should be afraid. That we are powerless. That somehow we don't have that level of authority in the spiritual battle. But it's his propaganda. It's all based in, in lies. Have we got 1 John 4 verse 4? 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's a promise. It's biblical. It's in, that's why we need to know our scriptures. God's truth in this book is absolute. It's not a relative thing. It doesn't change with how we're feeling or with the weather. It's absolute and it's non-negotiable. And when we give more weight to the lies of the enemy than to God's truth, or even worse, we disagree with it or we just don't believe it, we are effectively allowing the devil jurisdiction in our lives. I know because I do it. We all do it. This is, this is kind of fairly basic living in freedom teaching. I'm, in a way, I'm hoping that I'm not saying anything that we don't know. But the main thing that stops us walking in victory is, I would suggest, fear and anxiety often. Because spiritual attack comes through our emotions when we listen to the lies that the enemy tells us. When he says, when he whispers to us, you can't really win that battle. You're not good enough to do that. You're not significant enough for God to answer your prayers. All of that stuff is based in lies of the enemy. And if we know the truth, and if we know our scriptures, we will be able to use those divinely powerful weapons. It's why, it's why Satan makes work so hard to make us fearful, because when, when he does that, we lose sight of the truth. And we lose sight of the tools that God has given us. So we need to know the truth. It's the truth we know that sets us free. Please hear me, I'm not saying there won't be battle, okay? I'm not saying that we won't face difficulties and opposition. Of, of course, we all have stuff to face, and some of it can be really, really tough. But what I'm saying is that the stuff that we face doesn't have to defeat us. There is victory. We're fighting battles, but the war has been won. And what God calls us to do is to enforce that victory. And sometimes it will be tough. But it will not be impossible. And yes, we will be in battle until we get to heaven permanently. Of course we will. But actually there is a place, and I'm not very good at doing this, but there is a place where we can walk in, in a place of utter security and peace and abundance in the middle of the war if we engage with the truth and not with the lies. Bill Johnson says, we can sleep in the boat in the middle of the storm when we put our trust in God. That's what it comes down to. And in the end, I'm afraid it comes down to choice. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> do we choose to cooperate with God and listen to him, or do we choose to listen to those little lies, the things that seed in fear and doubt? when the struggles come, even when we don't understand, even when we don't understand, God's truth is still true. And it is a stark choice. I know it's a stark choice. It's whether we believe in God's faithfulness and truth and goodness or whether we believe in the enemy's lies. It's, it's that simple. It's, it's not rocket science, but we need to really engage with God and allow his Holy Spirit to show us. Ask him, Lord, where am I believing lies that the enemy's telling me? What are you saying in this situation? 
because we're children of God. We're royal sons and daughters. And the fundamental truth is God is absolutely passionate about us. He loves us so much. He's for us. He's for us. He's for us. And he longs to be sovereign over every single part of our lives, doesn't he? And we can absolutely trust him. End of, in a way. We can absolutely trust him, regardless of what our emotions are doing, regardless of the somersaults our minds are doing. We can trust him. And why we think we know better than him and try to take things into our own hands is a mystery in some ways. And yet it's what we all do. And that's where worldly thinking comes in, which is the last thing that I want to talk about. And none of us are immune to worldly thinking because often it seems so sensible. And when we allow fear to influence our minds, I think we'll all automatically just start thinking about shoulds and oughts and go into that place of, I should do this, I ought to do that. And I know that because I do it. I think we all do. And we start thinking, well, what will other people think about me? Surely so-and-so would expect me to do that. Or how can, how can I make sure I can provide for my family? How can I make sure I've got enough? If I do that, I'll look stupid. <laughs> All of these worldly thinking things pop up, based in lies of the enemy, of course. But when we, when we engage with them, we go into worldly thinking. And as soon as we do that, notice that the focus comes off of God and onto me. Will I look stupid? How can I provide? What will so-and-so think I should do? What's their expectations of me? And when we get into that place, everything we do becomes about how we perform effectively. And it's counterfeit. It's not living for Jesus. Because we, we get caught up in wanting to be seen to do the right thing, in inverted commas. Because we want to appear to be mature. We want to impress other people. And we depend on past formulas. We'll kind of go, well, when I did that, it worked before. So therefore, surely I need to do that again. And actually what happens is when we engage in worldly thinking, we will end up striving. We'll end up striving. And the other problem is most of us are actually very good at doing things in our own strength. Most of us are very capable. And the trouble is when we strive and when we appear to succeed, it gives us that feeling of peace and comfort. But it's not the peace of God. It is a counterfeit peace. Be because, because it's our flesh that's in control at that point. And it's why we often rely on our own strength when we're fearful. Because it's comforting to think, oh, I can do this. I've got this. <laughs> rather than putting all our faith and trust in the Lord. And he's got it, but we don't always believe it. And, and that's the challenge, I think, for all of us. Our flesh loves us to work things out for ourselves. But it's a sure sign if we're fleshly about it, we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, actually. We don't get too angry in case we upset someone. We don't let ourselves love totally unconditionally in case it's too costly. 
we don't stand up for injustice as much as we should because we ourselves are too comfortable. And we end up doing the things that make us look good and make us feel comfortable, make us feel successful. And that's worldly thinking. Because abandoning worldly thinking is actually very costly. But it's how we grow in faith. Remember, this is about what hinders our faith. And it's how we grow in our relationship with God. And some of you know my recent testimony, but for those who don't, I will just give you a very, very quick potted version of it. Back in January, God showed me that I needed to leave my job. And my first thought was that I need to find another job then, don't I? <laughs> and that's worldly thinking. God said, I need you to leave your job. God didn't say, therefore, go and find another job. Two different things. And my flesh was going, well, it's stupid to quit if you've got nothing to go to. <laughs> it's those questions. How will I provide? Where will our money come from? And again, look at the focus of those thoughts. They were all about me. But then through a whole load of different circumstances, God made it really clear that I needed to resign. And, and I resigned. And even then, I started to doubt it and question it. And I, when I was praying, look, God literally gave me this really clear picture of a doorway that just said exit. <laughs> and I went, OK, Lord. So I can't say I did it without fear, but I did it. I resigned. And that was that. And then... Two weeks ago, this is the bit that some of you don't know, two weeks ago, one of my colleagues said, so what would your ideal job be then, knowing that I'd only got a few weeks left of my notice? So I listed off all these things. And then my, I was sitting in the office and my mobile phone rang. So he got up and walked out and I thought, oh, he's just given me some privacy to take a call. And he came back in and put a job description in front of me. <laughs> Wasn't, hadn't even gone to advert. It was just a draft job description and said, I think you need to look at this. So I looked at it and I thought, that looks interesting. So went home, next day, wrote my CV up, wrote a covering letter. It did, it ticked every box. It ticked every box. So 8.30 on the Saturday morning, I sent my, emailed off my CV. 9.30 on Saturday morning, I get an email inviting me for an interview. Monday, I have an interview. Wednesday, I've got the, the absolutely ideal, perfect job. And do you know what, if I hadn't resigned, that would not have even been a possibility. It's, it, is, it, it blows me away, honestly. Laurie very, very kindly bought me a bottle of pink champagne to celebrate. <laughs> because it is amazing. It is completely amazing, this job. It literally ticks every single box. It enables me to do the other ministry things outside of work, which I wasn't going to be able to do. And I even get paid to go to Africa every year. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And so... I know that God had got that plan from the start. He knew that in January when he told me to resign. So why don't I trust him? I don't know. The thing that I want to finish with is God, God wants us to thrive. Okay? That doesn't mean we're all going to be insanely wealthy or whatever, but God wants us to thrive in our homes and in our churches and in our workplace, wherever we are. And he wants us to partner with him. He knows where each one of us is at. And he loves it when we learn new stuff about him every single day. He loves teaching us. And he never, ever stops actively pursuing us 
That's his nature. And in every situation, I 100% believe whatever we're facing, he is calling us into victory and breakthrough. Whatever you're facing. And he's calling us to contend and to push through, even when it's tough, no matter what circumstances are. So I just want to encourage you, read your Bibles. Get to know what's in these pages. Value your scriptures. And believe what God says to you, not what the enemy whispers to you. And align your thinking with him, because then, if we come back to that first verse from Hebrews, then we will run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Amen.